All right, everybody, uh, welcome to the Daily Dose podcast. I'm Benji, and today I have Brandon Archer on the show. And Brandon and I connected through um, mutual friends, and he's passionate about a ton of things that I'm passionate about, um, communication, relationship building, um, masculine, feminine energy, just, you know, top down. Um, I started studying uh, Jungian psychology about a year and a half ago, and it was the first time I had ever been introduced into archetypes, and it talked about polarity and all that kind of stuff. And I really realized that I had an imbalance in my life. So when I was able to connect with Brandon, it was a great opportunity to continue to, I guess, to continue to dig a hole that I had left for a bit. I got down to the point where I was like, I understand this. And I feel like I'm bringing, bringing it uh, and integrating it into my lifestyle and actually utilizing it. And, and, and especially with my relationships and being able to hold space for other people. So um, when Brandon and I connected, I was, I was honestly, I was psyched. You and I had a great ship, great chat last, uh, last week and kind of back and forth. <laughs> Eventually I remember I just pumped the brakes. So I was like, okay, this is great, but let's leave this and let's come back to it. Uh, come back to it next week. And you're doing some uh, amazing stuff, uh, especially with, with, men um my partner uh, like i mentioned last week my partner's um background in education is in international relations and gender studies and she was the first one i think i think she was the first woman in my life to really really shed light on feminism and some of the issues that she experienced as a as a woman and I think the other piece as well is to see how emotionally connected she was to those issues and how much they impacted her even though they didn't necessarily impact her directly in her everyday life. It was really cool to see how she had a, a broader connection to other women and our society and how, how we build relationships with women. And growing up as, as a child, I had toxic masculinity, like until I was probably ni 19, I think I had a break. And um, being able to undo some of those ideas or beliefs that I had really changed the direction of my life and not just my relationships with women in a romantic way, relationships with all women in my life, but also all relationships in my life, because I was able to identify the imbalances in other people, um, when to kind of push and hold back, when to hold space, when to, you know, put my guard down so other people could also, you know, step into that space. So I won't go too much into it, but I'm, I'm really excited if you, if you can't tell, I'm really excited to have this conversation. And yeah, uh, sure. I really think it can do a lot for for a lot of people and specifically uh, a lot of men. So um, that's a little bit about me and my experience. Brandon, why don't you, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? And I, I want this to kind of be a, I, I'd enjoy if it was more of a long-winded explanation. So really don't hold back as much as you can remember, as much as you're willing to share. Um, really from, from start, let's, let's say the first half of your life. Um, and then let's say the second half of your life, sure. however you want to kind of split that up. Cause I know you have a, a pretty interesting path and, and everyone's landmarks are a little bit. Different. Yeah, sure. My path has been really interesting. I grew up in a household that was fourth generation Jehovah's witness. So, um, simply put that is a cult. It just is. And when you, from age zero to all through teenage years and beyond are taught certain things, you just accept them as reality. But that really got in the way once I graduated high school, moved out, got into the air quotes, like real world and started working. I could see that people were not, I, I couldn't connect with them. So I didn't really do much about that through my 20s. Uh, 28, I got married to someone who was not a Jehovah's Witness. And that's when things really started like cracking open and seeing the holes in, in my beliefs. But it took 
quite a while. It actually took after I was divorced before I realized what had happened in that experience, meaning she was bringing a lens and a belief system that didn't match mine and going like, what the heck, Brandon? Like, what is going on? And when you are basically programmed a certain way, you just, you don't know any different. But it really definitely got me frustrated. So I was divorced when I was 35. So that's kind of the first half. I had kids in there, um, which was amazing. They're now uh, late teens. But that really on my journey as a man was the first half of like stumbling a little bit stumbling through life and going, oh, I have all this programming that I didn't know I had, but I didn't realize that until probably about age 35. And then I started digging into like, I'm not really happy with how I can't connect with people. Like I just didn't like it. So I'd always, you know, how those Facebook memories come up and stuff from like a decade ago, I was like posting inspirational stuff. Like, but I didn't, I had no clue what it actually meant but I was curious, like I wanted to know more. So age about 35, divorced, going, oh, okay, well, I'm kind of at ground zero again. And just kept pushing forward in life, you know, got a new job, moved to a new town. And I had a pretty scary incident. I just woke up in the hospital one day with no memory of how I got there. And what had happened is there was some kind of accident on my bike. Like, like I said, I actually don't remember what happened. So severe head trauma, concussion, and I couldn't speak properly. I couldn't see properly. And I was pretty worried. I was like, "Uh Oh, I may not be able to take care of myself. And the world slowed down. Nothing mattered. This is like a pause. Mm -hmm. Any stresses that I had just went away. And that was my first glimpse into actually being present like actually present instead of in my head thinking about the past and worried about the future that was a big moment for me um all I did was spend time with my kids I did end up recovering but what I did when I recovered is I just went back into the same patterns I was doing before you know get back to work start stressing out and just didn't feel great. During that time, I had been dating, but I didn't have the emotional ability to go very deep for now I can dissect why. I was pretty traumatized from my marriage. At the time, I had no idea. But a few years went by, stress, I'm still stressed out. And when I'm 46 now, when I was 41, I actually had a heart attack while I was riding my bike. I, I'm an elite amateur athlete. I was training super fittest of my life actually at age 41. It was amazing because I was divorced and single. What else am I going to do except ride my bike? And that was the big pivot. That was the huge pivot. Um, to me, that was the universe saying, hey, Brandon, you ignored me with the head trauma. So I got to like, I got to, I got to poke you a little harder. I'm going to give you a heart attack this time. Mm -hmm. And why I say that is the cardiologist, I had a full green light within three, four months. I was racing my bike again. 
Um, medically, they have no actual explanation why I had a heart attack. But what he, I asked him, I'm like, can stress cause heart attacks? He's like, 100%, but we have no way to measure that. And I'm like, well, man, I know what I've felt for like the last decade yeah. in my body and the stress and the worry. I'm going to make, I was like, that's got to be what happened. So he didn't disagree with me on that. So I moved forward and I just started looking at life differently and myself and how I handled things and realized I had a lot of work to do. I had a lot of work to do on myself and how to figure out how to manage stress. That was my first motivation is I have to manage stress better. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to do things in life that I don't want to do anymore. Like, why am I doing things that make me unhappy? <laughs> so I just stopped. Um, and at that point, I'd been in the restaurant industry basically my whole career up to that point. And I was done with it. I didn't want to do it anymore. And I had started two years before my heart attack, a youth cycling program in Kelowna with Axel Merckx, who was a Tour de France rider, Olympic medalist. And I really liked it. So I said, I'm going to be a cycling coach. Like, that's it. I'm going to figure it out. It's not a job that's on your local. It doesn't exist. Yeah, it doesn't exist. (laughs) So so I figured it out and I did make an income for a few years on that. But at the same time, I also got involved in men's work because I had been working on myself the best I could. I shortly after my heart attack, I met a woman and that relationship, she really started to point me in the right direction, mm-hmm. you know, giving me some resources. I had a mentor in my life that really helped me just get moving, asking different questions than I was used to. And because I had really been searching kind of my whole life for like, okay, I was given these paradigms that I don't really like, but I have no idea, no idea what to do no idea how to get out of that mindset or that way of Mm -hmm. thinking and the mentor and that relationship really started things moving and then I found men's work and men's work to me at the time was was uh, a men's group and it just changed everything like so quickly and that is after a year of doing that I went to that was an online group that I had joined. But after a year of doing that, I had gone to a live event, a weekend where uh, men got together, talked about things men don't talk about day-to-day life for the most part. Mm-hmm. Every man there wanted to change their life in some way or change themselves. And that's powerful when you get 20 men on that same path or that, of that same mindset that they want something better. Mm-hmm. And after we left that, I realized this is what I'm supposed to do for society. I'm supposed to help more men. Yeah. And I just knew that. I knew my my combination of life events, my combination of skills that I had acquired of training staff and restaurants and coaching and cycling and mm-hmm. all the things. It was just a perfect storm of wow, I can really, I have something to offer. And I knew that guy at age 34, 35, 
that was me is most men just being like, what in the hell am I actually doing? What am I actually doing? I'm just going through the motions. I'm literally going through the motions. I actually call it the life escalator. Uh, I have a TED talk prepared for this, but I'll I'll quickly (laughs) tell you because you said I could go on long. So I'm going to. So life escalator, you know, we're a teenager. We graduate high school. We might go to college or university. We get the job. We get the wife. Mm -hmm. We buy the house. The cool cars. We have the kids. And then what happens? Then we're like going, what just happened? I just did everything society and my mom and dad told me to do. And I'm miserable. I'm freaking miserable. So the alternative, and I was the universe, if you want to call it that, gave me two opportunities. One with the head trauma. It's like, hey, Brandon, get off the escalator. There's something else. And the the way I look at it, or the way I like to explain it, it's like a path through the woods. It's not a straight line. It's meandering through the woods. The sunlight is shining through the trees. Mm-hmm. And I actually got on that path for a little bit after the mm-hmm. head trauma. But then I'm like, um, but I'm supposed to be on the escalator. I went and got back on the escalator. Well, with the heart attack, I didn't get back on the escalator. I stayed on the path and kind of discovered myself and what I wanted and what I'm supposed to do for society. And as cliche as that sounds, I do feel strongly about this because now that I run men's groups and work with men, we're not alone. Every man feels this way. Every single man, we just don't talk about it. And at some point in their life or another, it doesn't necessarily happen. Everyone's journey looks a little bit different. Like we might all be in the trees, but my path might look a little bit different. But at the end of the day, we're all like, there's a common terms that we're, we're all walking each other home, right? We're all going to the same place, same place anyways. So, I mean, you talked about a couple of things, which is interesting because I mean, the escalator metaphor is great because escalators are always broken. <laughs> you know what I mean? You go to use the escalator and it's never working properly, right? So it's a great metaphor because it's kind of like our life a lot of the time, you know, emergency button gets hit or got to walk up the stairs, you know, instead of using the escalator, why don't we just take the stairs, you know, go on a little bit of an adventure. And that's kind of what it's like when you, when you go to use the escalator and it's not working, you're like, okay, where's the nearest stair, or, you know, where's an elevator. So I really love that metaphor. And I actually, going back, you said that I truly believe that life in the universe, however you want to God, I mean, however you want to describe it, the, the underlying energy that dictates everything in our world, um, I really think it keeps delivering the same message over and over and over again until we learn it. And the ability to, I, I call it a spin cycle, or it's very similar to the escalator. It's a similar concept, but it's the idea that we go over, it's like watching, um, watching a washing machine go over and over and over again. And eventually the cycle breaks, but usually you're so disoriented when the cycle breaks, you don't really know which way to go. And it's just interesting that you said that the first piece I guess one of the the underlying messages of what you had said was trauma. And I think trauma is that kind of, if it was a nut that cracks open, you know, the trauma cracks the nut open and then just kind of goes out the back door and it's like, deal with the mess that I just made. But I think the first piece of trauma actually that you went through was when you were 28 through the divorce, but you actually said it was the head trauma, which is interesting because I know that romantic trauma is what pushed me down that path. It was that first point in my life where I could truly see who I thought I was and how different the idea of who I was was from who I actually am 
I know that was kind of a mouthful, but it's the first time and it was when my heart was broken. Like when I, when I broke my heart or when I felt somebody else had broken my heart. So it's interesting. So I want to actually, if you can expand a little bit on that, what do you, what do you think it is about trauma specifically that allows us to kind of, you know, get off the escalator or like you had mentioned, see the, the sun through the trees. What, what is it about trauma that pushes us, us down there? Yeah, and good point. You're right. In my life, that it was divorce was probably the first one, 100%. I uh, actually never piece that together. So thanks for that. Cheers, man. What about trauma? Um, It's a pattern interrupt. It's a great way to put it. Yeah, it. My friend Danielle Grant. Um, that's that's terminology she uses. It interrupts your pattern. So. Like for me, the first time with the head injury, just going through the motions, going through the motions, and then wham. And it causes you to pause. And on a larger scale, it's it's very interesting. When COVID happened last year, like I was like, it it hit me pretty hard. I'm like, what is going on? And after I sat with it for a few weeks, I'm like, man, these are extremely similar feelings to when I had my heart attack, the unknown, Hmm. out of control. I'm not in control of anything. Yeah. So the trauma, I think, of whatever that might be in in a person's adult life, it's a pattern interrupt. It's like, hey, stop. Just stop for a minute. Like, don't get distracted with work and this and that and the other thing. And it causes you to, like, sit still. So I think with COVID too, that was an opportunity for the world to like sit down, like just take a, take a, take a break. And I do feel like since then people have paid more attention to themselves. It's very uncomfortable when you stop and are quiet because all the thoughts that you've been trying to push away, they're like, Hey, Oh, you slowed (laughs) down. Okay. Here you go. It's like, I'm still here. thing you don't want to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting because I never, I was talking to somebody last week and I feel like I grew up in such a chaotic environment. So when chaos hits, I'm usually good. It's when things are kind of quiet and steady. That's when I'm like, yeah, this is kind of eerie. Like what's going on? Because I'm just so used to getting this barrage and this bombardment of just shit all the time. And so it's interesting because I never viewed COVID that same way where it has been a traumatic experience for our entire society because it's shown how delicate we actually are and for me I guess I was already at a point where I already knew how fucking delicate I was especially emotionally like we're just delicate we can think that we're resilient but we're not because one thing happens and then you you know if the one thing happens that crap hits the nut the right way it'll crack so and it's like COVID kind of did the same thing so I've never really, I've never really thought this past year about that, but you're totally right because it's that same traumatic experience that, like you said, everybody quiets down. They don't need to wake up and go to work every day. They can kind of, you know, putz around in the morning at home and they don't have to you know, just kind of mosey on into their office and sit down at their, they're at work in like 30 seconds if they really want to. So it's a really interesting way of, of putting it. I, I want to, so let's, let's kind of go down that way a little bit. You talked a little bit, um, a little bit about discomfort. And comfortability and then what happens is is we we revert to comfort especially when things are uncertain and they're new or like i said uncomfortable so what what is it 
when you kind of got into that uncomfortable time, is, I guess it was when you had the head trauma at 35, you said that you, you did it for a bit and then you kind of reverted back. So what was it that second time around when you had the heart attack that pushed you down that path and kept you on that path? Was it the first experience or was it a daily practice? What were some of the tools that you used to really, really keep to trust and keep down that path? That is fascinating question. And I think I have to, I mean, I'd lived, I'd lived some more life for sure. So I had a little mm. more experience, but I have, to, if I broke that down, I would have to say it was my romantic relationship. I would have to say that her caring and her pointing things out to me that I did not see in myself mm -hmm. was the difference. I didn't have that with the head trauma. I had nobody to like kind of not have my back, but like go, hey, there's this thing I noticed that you do because she could tell I had a good heart and I, I had good intentions, but yeah. sometimes your behavior doesn't match that. And when you have somebody that cares enough a divine feminine actually to go, Hey, there's this thing you might not see. Um, it can be a real game changer. And it was for me. A hundred percent was for me. What the, yeah. See, and I, it's timing. That's the, the way the universe works. It's just hilarious. I mean, it's obviously not funny because it's a pretty serious discussion. You had head trauma and heart attack, but I mean, it's hilarious to me and the, the irony involved in it sometimes where mm -hmm. one thing happens and the next thing happens and then the minute you just are aware of a couple things maybe lining up and you're like hey maybe this is the thing and then you just trust it and let go and then you're like holy shit this is actually a thing and it's faith is really what it is so what what were some of the things I'm curious at the time when your uh, your current partner came through what were some of the things that she identified in you um, behaviors or, you know, tendencies that she really shined a light on and you looked at yourself and were like, you know, I really don't like this about myself or this is something that I really need to change. You mean at the heart attack? Um, well, you were saying, uh, I, I guess it would be when your, your partner came in when you were 35 after the head trauma or was no, it no, with the heart attack, with the heart attack, that okay. was, that was the big, she, she definitely, played a massive part in me going deeper and looking at things and where it started. <laughs> uh, I never actually pulled it apart this way is my communication sucked, which is why I'm so passionate about helping men now because mm. it's a problem and we don't know how to do it. We don't know how to do it very well with women. Um, I was at work. I was really good. Like I was an awesome communicator. So I'm like, what are you talking about? I know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. But I did listen to her and, and she got me down a path of questioning it um, because I knew she cared. I knew she wasn't saying it out of spite. I knew she yeah. wasn't saying I was a bad person because I couldn't communicate with her very mm -hmm. well. Um, and really, I dug into it and I dug into it hard because <laughs> I wanted that connection with my partner and I yeah. could tell it wasn't there and 
I wanted to change that. I wanted that to be different. I have something I want to plug in here with communication because it's actually, I mean, it's not really, a, I guess, a concept. It's not really a concept I've ever shared before. I mean, I've talked about it to some people, but I guess it's different when you feel like you have somebody across from you who would, I guess, truly understand the concept of it because communication is a, it's a learned skill. It's one of those things that can be learned. Um, maybe you can't, like, you can't really change too much the vo how, our vo how our voices sound, right? Which is part of communication, but we could totally change the words that we use, um, the way we in inflect certain words, um, how vulnerable we are, all that kind of stuff. And communication for me has always been, there's three pieces to communication. It's, it's the depth that we can feel something. So how deeply can we actually allow ourselves to feel an emotion? That's the first piece to communication. And then the second part is being able to comprehend and understand what we're feeling because the way, what we think we're feeling and labeling and labeling it away is often wrong. And a lot of that is because we just have never been given formal education on what emotions are, how to label them, where we feel them. And then the third piece is actually being able to communicate how deeply we felt something and our ability to understand it and actually verbalize it and share it with somebody else. And it's really interesting that you bring up the communication because that's not something that's taught. Luckily, if you fall under parents who are good at it, the child is automatically going to be good at it. But no, we're not, especially as men, we're not given that opportunity. And also, I guess the other piece in it is the way that our society is, has developed an integrated communication. It's not like I just, you know, walking down the street and like, hey, Brandon, anymore. It's you can be walking down the street, you can pick up a phone, you can email them, you can text them. It's like all of these forms of communication. So now our tools have scaled, but our skills, like our external tools have scaled, but our internal skills have not scaled the same way. And so we're sitting there being like, how do you text properly to convey an emotion, um, convey the right emotion, so that's not misinterpreted in the other on the other side. So it's really interesting that the, the communication got brought up really early on with you and it's a huge it's a huge tool so what what was it about your communication that that she had identified was was off was off was it because I mentioned three things was it how deeply you were letting yourself feel something was it your ability to understand the emotion or was it the actual communication of it all of the above all of the <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay yeah I was pretty horrible at it with women I'm I'm not gonna say I wasn't which yeah Again, it's why I'm so passionate about helping men with it now, because I know I wasn't alone. I know I'm not alone on that journey. Um, one thing I would like to add, though, is I believe you can change your voice and your tone because you talked about emotion mm -hmm. and you're bang on. If you are getting super emotional at something your partner is saying, you're probably triggered. It's probably trauma from your childhood, totally. probably. Yeah. And it doesn't, if you don't have the education, like you said, around what that is and why it's happening, mm -hmm. like we're not given that, those tools. We have no clue. I'm just angry. Yeah, but why are you angry? Well, she did this. I'm like, okay, but is that really a cause for you to be talking to her the way you're speaking to her right now? No. Probably not. Probably not. But like you, you touched on, we don't have the skills to be like, whoa, whoa, yeah. what's going on? Why am I like losing my shit on her right yeah. now? And it's so funny. And that is like 
gold. It's gold. Once you go down that path yeah. and start developing those skills, it's a skill set you use for life. And totally. I said before, you know, at work, and many men are, you know, many men get really far on decent communication skills at yeah. work. It is not the same thing. It is not the same no. thing that employee or business partner or whomever it is client is not triggering your trauma from your childhood the mm -hmm. way your partner can Just it's interesting too it's interesting too because the first i remember the first time and I think it's valuable to valuable to share this too, just because we're you know talking about our, our your experience and my experience as another as another male who who's you know chosen a different path is ultimately what I did, and what it came down to was I was verbally abusive to my partners. That's all it was. Is I was just and my the the verbal abuse just came from a misunderstanding of how to. I could feel things really deeply, which is actually what I think led to the verbal abuse because I had all this piled up emotion, no ability to understand it, okay? And then the communication then was just to just, like as it was the frustration and like the bottling of these emotions, you just open the top and it just all goes and it just spews. And what I did was I sat there after, you know, I had a big blow up with a partner. We didn't talk, we took space, we didn't talk for like a week. And that was the first time where I was, you know, like alone. Like I truly felt alone and abandoned and all that kind of stuff. And whether the, the emotions are justified or not, it didn't matter. But what I realized was that I told myself and I told my partner that I loved her. But the thing I realized was that I, if I love somebody, I would never speak to them that way because that's not what love is. And the minute I was able to connect those two dots, everything changed. I was like, I, I have some like serious gaps here and problems that I need to correct because I was the same way. I grew up in customer service retail, great at communicating with people at work. And then the minute it got into my relationship and my family, it sucked. I, I sucked at it. And so it's really interesting that you touch on that. Cause I mean, I, to be honest, I haven't thought about this <laughs> in a while, but it's, it's, it's so true. Like, it's not just, and it's not, like you had mentioned, it's not just you or me, it's all men experience this. So what I want to talk a little bit, because we've talked about trauma and the communication and all that kind of stuff. What is it, if it's not just you and I as men, what kind of trauma do you think that most men, and this is your experience as a coach, what kind of trauma do you think most men have gone through generationally or intergenerationally that has kind of led us to this point of I kind of look at it like a fork in the road we really have a decision as men of which way we're going to go and you know I hate I, I don't like good and bad because it's it's very binary it's black and white it's not always like that but I'm going to use it here and say that good and, and bad because there's one path that I think really pushes not just us individually forward but as collectively as a society it pushes us forward then there's the other one that's just steadfast the exact way that it's been and we need we're at a point where we need change like mm -hmm. men, we need to do better you mentioned that last week men need to do better so what is it what is some of the emotional trauma that you see in all or, or i guess predominant patterns of emotional trauma in all men that have gotten us yes. to where we are 
I'm going to choose to talk about everything. It sounds cliche, but it's truth. Everything comes from our childhood. It does. Yeah. And it's not blaming our parents. It's not blaming their grandparents. It's everybody's done the best they can. I think we're at a point in society where we have access to so much more information. This is the generation. This is the time women do need to do better because we now know what's going on. My dad Mm -hmm. didn't know what he was doing. He was doing the best he could. He couldn't go on Google and go, how do I, how do I communicate with my wife better? We can now. Yeah. And the trauma that, and it actually, um, showed up a bit in your v- verbal abuse is as children, and this goes for men and women, it's just not just um, men specifically, but this is how it manifests a lot with men is that when we are children, we are doing our very best to express ourselves or higher selves. But often what happens is we are told to be quiet. We are told, no, don't think that way. Think this way. So even in your experience of the verbal abuse, subconsciously you're trying to control her. Yeah. And that's how, so we are a little version of ourselves that we carry in our subconscious, 10 year old, Mm -hmm. eight year old, whatever it might be. And he is just screaming to be able to speak his mind and be accepted for those things, Mm -hmm. screaming. But we've not between age eight and age, our adult years, it's like we were not taught how to integrate that, how to go, oh, you know what? Mom and dad said this thing to me. It's not their fault, but Mm -hmm. it it happened. And it caused a scar, this emotional scar, this trauma, this, you know, the primal brain records it so that now as age 35 or whatever age we might be and our partner says something similar to what Mm -hmm. eight-year-old version of us heard, our primal brain takes over. It's like, oh, alert, 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 fight, fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. It, 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 It cannot tell the difference between a tiger behind the tree behind the tree and your partner saying something it thinks yeah. it's the exact same thing so how it responds is it lashes out yeah so i'm going to try to control her so that i don't get hurt it's really interesting because that's a that's a physiological thing like you had mentioned and most people don't pick up on that is we were talking about chronic pain last night that was something that had come up because chronic pain I I work with a lot of clients physically one of them is with pain management and one of the things with chronic pain is it's just a a sensory signal that says there's something going on here it goes to brain brain interprets it as pain then says okay to deal with pain I'm going to do you know xyz there's a bunch of different things that it usually does usually you move positions or something like that but what we don't realize is that Um, neurons that fire together, wire together. And the issue is, is once that path is made, it's not able to decipher pain, different types of pain, it's just pain. And it's the same way that you're talking about it too, where it can't decipher between the tiger or the dog. 
Do you know what I mean? It just knows that both of these things are fight or flight or freeze and deal with it sort of thing. So, and the emotional trauma as a child as well. I mean, as you were saying, you know, I was getting chills because you're, you're totally right where I feel, I find one of the reasons that I enjoy, you know, you talked about verbalizing it. One of the reasons that I enjoy verbalizing stuff is because I do feel like that, you know, eight-year-old me wants to express himself and, you know, share and teach and I just found a way to channel it in a way that is valuable, not just for me, but also valuable for other people. And what I realized is, it's, you know, like you said, there's me shining light on things for you and you doing it for me. And that mutually beneficial, beneficial relationship allows me to heal parts that I haven't shined light on in a while and you to heal parts. And it's just, it just happens from, from verbalizing it. So I really appreciate, I really appreciate you sharing that because it's, bang on it is and it really it is cliche to say that it, it goes back to our childhood and I think the other piece as well is I spent a long time blaming my parents mm-hmm. and which was funny because blame turned to anger anger turned to resentment and then I just got to a point and I was like where is this going to take me like this isn't going to help me at all this is only going to slow me down and it got down to the point like you had mentioned the saving grace in it was you don't know what you don't know so I'm angry and mad and resenting them for things that they didn't know. And also to not have the same resources. We're extremely, we're extremely fortunate to have the tools and the resources at our fingertips that we, that we do. It allows us to, to just scale and grow exponentially. It's not this short linear growth anymore. It's like you find the right piece of information and you take off. And the best part is when you take off, you don't really come back down. And it's just, it's a, yeah, it's everything that you said really, really rings true. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, I do want to talk a little bit about um, masculine and feminine energy, because we've talked a little bit about the masculine and, you know, the trauma that's involved with it. So what, I, what I've come to realize, and, and, you know, if I didn't pick up, is actually funny, because I think the first book that I ever read that talked about masculine and feminine energy and archetypes was actually about dreams. It's called The Man and His Symbols. It's by Carl Jung. And um, I picked it up because I was having just wacky dreams, <laughs> crazy dreams. And I was like, there's got to be some truth to this. And of course, go to Google and start searching like, what does this dream mean? And what does this dream mean? And then <laughs> especially because I was having weird dreams, not, not sexual dreams, but dreams around masculine and feminine um, archetypes. They weren't even people all the time, but I could just get the vibe that, you know, this is a, a, a woman or, you know, this is a man or, you know, something in between. And I picked up this book and it talked about masculine and feminine energy and the polarity involved with it. So we talked a little bit about, I guess, let's talk about toxic masculinity, because I think that's like the, the flare term right now. And I was listening yeah. to a chat that you had and you said that, when we hear toxic masculinity, we don't hear masculinity, we hear toxic, I think is how you phrased it. And I, it's so true. So why don't we start by talking about uh, masculinity and femininity, and then talk about the toxic versions of, of each. Yeah, hmm, where to start. So I gave a talk a while ago and went pre-COVID and I left, a notepad and a pen on all the participants' chairs. And I asked them to write down 
traits that they thought were masculine and then traits that they thought were feminine. No direction for me other than that. Then after giving them some time, we reviewed it as a group and said, now, which of those are gender specific and light bulbs in the whole room? It, it's not gender specific. So why do we label it masculine or feminine? Mm-hmm. I think that's a super important thing to understand is that when we talk about Mac masculine, feminine energies and traits, it's in both males and females. It just is. Um, and why do we call it that? I don't know because society, however many thousands of years of society has said that's a masculine trait and this mm-hmm. is a feminine trait. Is that going to change? Maybe one day, but for present day, it just makes sense to everyone. It yeah. just makes sense. Like you say these things are like, oh yeah. Or if it's a woman saying they want their man to be more masculine, they name off the traits. They're like, they're ma- they would fall under the masculine um, column. Mm-hmm. So that for me was pretty interesting discovery um, because you just don't think about those things. You don't yeah. ever think about that. You're like, oh, you're a man, you're a woman. Pink, job, pink, pink jobs and blue jobs, right? Yeah. Past that, how much thought do we give it until you hear masculinity and then oh toxic masculinity masculinity is toxic like actually no it's not yeah. it's not at all um there are unhealthy masculine traits that have been labeled toxic the very well never talked about unhealthy feminine traits oh there's toxic feminine traits too Mm-hmm. So I got questioned a while, actually just a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. this gentleman, he was a little bit older. He's like, well, toxic masculinity, it's only three years old. And I'm like, um, no, it's <laughs> not. So I actually researched it a little bit and it came up. It actually looks like it, it, it came to the forefront in the eighties as a response to feminism. Interesting. And it was developed by the mythopoetic men's movement of trying to get men to be better men. And it was a term that was used to show how masculinity had become, or there had been more toxic masculine traits pushed forward as this is how you're supposed to act as a man. Mm -hmm. So I found that super interesting that men actually created this term, not women. Interesting. Yes. Super interesting. Yeah. I didn't either until recently. Why don't we, okay. So let's, let's double back to one of the first things that you said. And it was that we use these terms because this was a discussion that I had with, with my partner last week and she was, you know, she made a great point. She, she said, if they are generic traits of people, why do we tie them to sex and gender? Right. And I didn't have a good answer. I just said, you know, because it's the easiest way logically for us to, when we talked about communication, there needs to, there needs to be a common language that's spoken. It doesn't need to, we don't need to say that, you know, the language is where 
we want it to be now and in 15 years the language will change but it just allows people to sit down and discuss the same things with a common understanding of it and it's a really sensitive thing to tie things to sex and gender right now to say that one is you know it's black and white because i think we understand that it's not always black and white we just said that you know they're traits it's the same glass of water it's like the, the best way to describe it is that you have two cups of water it's water in both cups they're just separate cups right so it's the same thing we're talking about just two separate cups so what are some of the traditionally just you know giving that little bit of a, a precursor to it and an understanding of it just so we can understand each other and so other people listening can also understand what are some traditional uh, traits that are labeled as masculine and what are some traditional ones that are labeled as feminine yeah i brought up my my slide from my talk because i knew you were going to ask this <laughs> Um, and these are, and, and it's funny cause now there's one, I would move to the other column, but masculine, some things that people generally think are masculine strength, confidence, assertiveness, integrity, focus, reason, decisiveness. Okay. Feminine could be things like selflessness, humility, contentment, affection, compassion, patience, empathy. Lo love is the one that I might move to masculine now for. That's like a whole nother podcast. Actually, that's a huge topic, but, okay. but um, those are not gender specific. No. At, not even slightly, but what has happened over the last say 50 years more more it's actually more is in a response to men being toxic and not treating women well mm -hmm. it's like a pendulum and we just let it go we let it swing way over here and men became i'm just going to say it we became soft and the strength confidence assertiveness kind of started waning off yeah and here's the magic of, of energies and polarity and the laws of the universe, if you want to say that, is it absolutely 100% those energies need to be filled. They absolutely have to be. So what happens if men feel that less and move, slide more into being predominantly feminine traits? Women are amazing creatures mm -hmm. they're like oh well okay well, we're going to move over here and fulfill these things in relationships we're going to stick with relationships because it yeah. makes the most sense to yeah. listeners it's like oh crap right i'm the nice guy and now i'm not decisive i'm not assertive but i don't know how to be assertive in a healthy way because i think that's being an asshole and i'm not supposed to be an asshole as a man but that's not what assertive is. That's aggressiveness is what they're thinking. So there's a, been a huge disconnect in what healthy masculine actually is because I think partly that, oh, masculinity is toxic. Well, I don't, I know, uh, uh, well, what? Uh, like, what do I do? Like literally men are like, I don't know what to do because I've been told my whole life that masculinity is toxic. And it's interesting too, because I feel like we're at a point as men now where most of us freeze. 
There's no fight anymore. The fight, uh, honestly, I think the fight has dissipated. I don't think the flight is really a thing that has gone on too much. We aren't really the type of, "Eh, maybe it would be flight. It's either flight or freeze because we're still here. But like you said, the amount of, the amount of people that I talk to, not just men, but just women who, who, who just don't know like what we're talking about when it comes to relationships or communication or masculine, feminine, and feminine energy, polarity, toxicity, all that kind of stuff who just don't know. And it's, it's, but they also don't know that it's okay to not know. Like it's the whole concept of imposter syndrome, right? Everyone's an imposter until you try the first time. So we get frozen by this idea that we, we don't belong or we shouldn't do, or, you know, this isn't us. But what we don't understand is that we only think it isn't us because that's how we think of ourselves. So we, I say that I'm not um, an amateur, um, what did you say, an amateur elite athlete? Is that yeah. how you describe yourself? I'm not an amateur elite athlete, but yeah, I'm not going to, if I tell myself that, of course, I'm not going to be it. But if I start telling myself that and then actually do it, then I am it. I may not be at the same level as other amateur elite athletes, but I am that. And it was a big, for me, it was a big switch of switching. Um, it's, it's a self, self-talk thing and a language thing. I, I switched and I started using I am statements. Instead of talking to myself in third person where I'd say, I'd be talking to you and I'd be talking about myself. But what I would say is, if you do this, then you do this. Right. But then that's who I'm talking about you when in actuality, I'm talking about myself. So I switched and I started using I am statements. I am happy or I am love or I am and maybe not anger, you know, (laughs) so I'm not anger. I'm like I can feel anger, but I'm not an emotion. Right. So it's really interesting that you you touched on that. So I guess one of the things that I wanted to talk about, you also talked about the pendulum. It's fast again. It's fascinating to me to talk to you about it because you know the pendulum theory is something that I think about very frequently. Where um, somebody is talking to me about um, societal trends, like so- sociological trends, with us. Uh, I think I think the discussion was fashion because fashion is very cyclical, right? It comes and goes and comes and goes. It never really leaves, you know. And that's kind of like a pendulum where. I remember playing with a pendulum as a kid, and I always thought it was the funnest. It was actually wasn't a pendulum; it was a Newton's cradle. You have the five balls in the middle. You pick one up, you drop it in the middle. Then all of a sudden, it hits, and then it swings the one other one the other way. And it's the concept that energy can't be created or destroyed; it can only be changed. Which is another—I mean—that's a law of you know science. <laughs> it's, it's not even what we're talking about, which most people, what we're talking about, most people would label as, um, I guess, social psychology and you know, woo-woo sort of stuff like pseudoscience but um it's the same concept just again with language spoken a different way and the thing with the pendulum is it swings one way but we forget that once it's swung hard the other way the only place for it to go is then to swing back the other way eventually we settle in the middle to this common ground and i I think if men keep going down the same path that you you're taking and that i'm taking and that we're helping other men taking or other men take then i think we will settle in the middle so you also spoke, I want to talk, now that we've talked a little bit about the pendulum concept of the toxicity, because I think the toxicity, and I want you to explain it, because I know you're the, you're the expert in it. Does the toxicity happen at each extreme of that pendulum? So, you know, as far as a far swing one way, or as far as far swing the other way, or where does that toxicity happen in that, I guess, in that range? 
Um, yeah, I've never had it proposed that way. Um, I would say no. I think I think it's a spectrum on either end of the pendulum that okay. I, I don't even want to say a, a, I don't want to use the word spectrum. Those things only come up, those toxic traits, when there's unhealed wounds around that okay. masculine or the feminine. So okay. like some toxic masculine ones, self-loathing, angry, reckless, indecisive, cowardice. It's like, where does that even come from in, in you know, aggressive? Like there's, the list can go on. It, it's, yeah. it's kind of irrelevant of the list. It's like, why does it exist? And to me, it's like, why does it exist? Okay. And the answer is it's unhealed childhood things around probably your father for the toxic masculinity. So what, what relationship do you have with the masculine in yourself? Cause we talk about traits and energies as a man, I have feminine traits and masculine traits. I just do. Yeah. And I've worked damn hard on, I, I have a feeling you probably as, as uh, you know, you talked about how you feel so much feminine traits probably just showed up for you easily. The masculine ones for me were hard because I didn't know how to develop them. I didn't have, my dad didn't model them at all. Yeah. So I'm like, what the heck do I do? Like, yeah. what do I do? I'm just going to be this nice guy and I'm going to please my partner well, that's actually not what she wants, number one. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't serve me to have this like burning fire. I can feel it. I know every man can feel it. And if they tell me they can't, they're full of shit. It is there somewhere <laughs> hiding. They want to stand up. They want to speak their mind. They want to yeah. like say the thing. They want to be assertive. They want to look that other man in the eye and tell him what he thinks but we're not taught how to access that without maybe it coming across as anger or mm -hmm. as rude. If you are grounded and you have done the work to on yourself, that masculine trait, the simple one of looking another man in the eye and telling him what you think, it's a game changer. Yes. And, and it's what every man wants to do. I know that for a fact. Yeah. And it can be done. It's there. It's in, it's in you. And, but who do you turn to, to figure out how to access that? It's, our, dad, uh, our dads would have told, would have taught us if they, if they knew how. Yeah. Um, and it's not their fault. It's no. so not their fault. Um, no. But it's our responsibility with access to more information. And if you're mm -hmm. listening to this podcast, yeah, I'm talking to you. Like you need to get up and you need to like reach out to Benji or me or find a men's group in your city and yeah. start the path. Get off that damn escalator and go see what the other possibilities are. Because escalators are brutal anyways. They're <laughs> always fucking broken. <laughs> so it's <laughs> like they never work properly. And it's interesting too, because, you know, we, we say like you mentioned, everybody has masculine and feminine energy and masculine traits and feminine traits for the, the way we um, propose them in this conversation so we can get a mutual understanding. But what we also forget is that in order to be pregnant and give birth, you need both an egg and both a sperm. And what we forget is that 
if we ever really want to break things down, we go back to the root, the most basic form of what it is. And you have both of those energies that combine and then make something else. And to say that we don't have those other traits, those um, that we, like I said, that we're tying to gender. If we don't, we, we have to believe that, you know, if that's how it happens in the womb, that that's how it's going to manifest 15, 20 years, 30, 40, however long we decide to live down, down the road, it's, it's going to happen that way. And, and it's just, it's it's challenging because I I think a lot of it is language around it. Like you had mentioned, to toxic masculinity was a phrase. I had no idea that it was a phrase created by men, but it's just thrown around now. And then men are just, I mean, I'm the same way. I, was, I you know I try and I try and push a different message to people, understanding that ultimately I'm going to be grouped with most men anyways. So. But I try and preach a different message and push a different message because I want to, like you mentioned, I want to lead by example. I want to see things be better, not just for me, for other men and for other people, like as a, as a collective whole in our society. Um, but it's challenging to kind of break out of those molds because as a man, I'm automatically going to be um, labeled as toxic. It's just how it goes until I share my message and put myself out there and do all that kind of stuff because actions speak louder than words. You and I can talk all we want, but at the end of the day, if we're not walking the walk and being who we think we are and who we talk about, who we, uh, the, the men we want to be, then why would anybody believe us? So yeah. Yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's no, well, really crazy. Yeah, it is. It is. Two, two things that I thought of as I was listening to you is a, a good way for people to understand masculine and feminine traits in ourselves. And then you can carry it into relationship but in ourselves is a cup and water. Water is the feminine. If you don't have a cup water and you just pour the water out, it's everywhere and it's messy. Mm -hmm. And then you got to clean it up. The cup is the container what the water goes in. So in order to have, you need both to nourish yourself, right? Okay. You can't drink the water off the table, but you need the cup to do it. So how, how you can, how a person can visualize that is for themselves is I have to develop my cup, my masculine traits so that my feminine traits can go in the cup so I can be nourished. Okay. It's interesting. So you're saying that it starts with masculine. Uh, no, not. No, I won't say starts. No, I won't say starts. Okay. So let's, it, let's go down parallel. And each, each person, each, each person's journey is different. They might okay. have, they might've had an awesome, uh, example as a man. I'm speaking from a man's standpoint right now. Okay. Their dad might've modeled masculine traits, but didn't, model any uh of his feminine traits right so he might be very decisive confident assertive but without the f developed feminine traits mm -hmm. he, he just got an empty cup okay so yeah that that makes sense because everyone's everyone's path is different so you could just have you could have an empty cup or you could just have a bunch of messy water Right. So that, that makes sense. So how let's take now that we, we we've kind of gone through the concept of, you know, masculine, feminine energy, and then this concept of cups that you just brought up, how do these two energies play into relationships and how do we see them? 
how do we see them show up in relationships? I guess in a, in a couple, and let me, cause that's kind of a broad question. Let's break it down a little bit further. Let's say, you know, um, the idea of polarity. So I guess the way I look at it is, is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. And I really just want to use this as a way to kind of, you know, as a segue, but does toxic masculinity attract toxic femininity? Like, is that how it attracts or how does it work in, um, relationships? No, I, I wouldn't say I, yeah, I've never been asked that. You ask really good questions, Benji. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I would say masculine and feminine attract. I think the toxic side is there's potential for it to be there, but I wouldn't say if you're toxic masculine, you're automatically going to attract toxic feminine because if polarity and who we choose as partners is kind of, it's kind of related, but it's also kind of two different things. Um, sure. Let's touch on it for a sec. So it doesn't matter if you're male or female, you subconsciously choose a partner. If you don't have the awareness, if you don't have the awareness of trying to play out something from your childhood. So if you had an unhealthy relationship with your mother, Mm -hmm. You are going to pick somebody that's like your mother because your inner child, your subconscious is yeah. trying to fix that. It's trying to get a different outcome from what it got. Yeah. So you could attract a toxic feminine partner. You could attract a toxic masculine partner because subconsciously you're like, I need to fix this. Like I need, I need, I want a different outcome but you're not going to get a different outcome unless you have awareness of yourself and yeah. why you're making that choice because you probably wouldn't pick a parent figure as your partner that you mm -hmm. didn't have a great experience with. You'd probably pick the opposite so that you could get all the love and all the things from your partner that you may not have gotten from your parent that you wanted or needed. Yeah. So that's a little different from polarity, right? Polarity is definitely it's positive and negative. There, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about this. There's masculine and feminine. It's undeniable. I don't care if it's a gay couple, uh, lesbian couple. It is irrelevant. Yeah. These two energies exist. How it is distributed is definitely um unique to each situation each each relationship but what i will say is i think from men's standpoint they want to be more masculine but they don't know how so if you think like it just it, ancient teachings had it all figured out and we've screwed it up <laughs> they totally screwed it up like if you think uh -huh. of yin and yang and then yeah. you know the good and black the bad, and white and the bad and but the there's yet a dot in each yeah yeah but it also could represent masculine and feminine and then exactly. there's a dot of the opposite color in each mm -hmm. there's a core and it's like but what i also really like is it actually looks like it's moving right yeah they're almost like perpetuating each other yes yeah. exactly so that's also probably another podcast, but <laughs> the energies in a relationship. So women are empowered and they should be. And I'm not, not saying powerful women 
are undesirable. That is exactly the opposite. But just as we talked about men and communicating at work, mm -hmm. and those skills don't translate to at home, a powerful woman in a high um, a CEO job, it doesn't matter what, if she she's inner masculine, she's making decisions, she's assertive, she's getting stuff done, comes home, what is what does she display at home? Does she bring those masculine traits home? If so, her partner has probably more developed feminine traits, which is fine if that mm -hmm. works for them. If that works for them. If she desires to be more in her feminine and kind mm -hmm. of surrender and be more flowy and have that's also great. But you that's a different man at home, right? Yeah. He, he's going to be more masculine. Mm -hmm. So what happens and what, what the trick is with relationships, powerful CEO woman comes home, expects her husband to be in his masculine, perhaps. I'm just creating a, a narrative yeah. for us. They're going to butt heads. They, they just are. Somebody yeah. needs to be in their feminine at home. Who's it going to be? Well, I don't know. Is, is the wife happy being in her masculine? Okay, fine, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Is the husband happy being in his feminine more so? Fine, that works because there's polarity there. What I have experienced in running men's groups and talking to a lot of men's and clients is they're more in their feminine, but they don't really want to be there. They want to be more in their masculine, but they don't know how to be. Oh, it's toxic. I don't know how to step into that. Energetically, mm -hmm. without words being spoken, women just take that, they just take those roles on. Yeah. Now, what I have experienced personally, partners want most men to step into their masculine in a healthy way, which allows them to soften, which perpetuates itself like the yin and the yang. It's this circular, you help each other grow and you give mm -hmm. each other what you need without even trying. And I've experienced it. That's why I know this is real. This is not, it, it, my partner, she had been in her masculine for years. Yeah. And she's like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. So she made a conscious choice to soften and just let things be. Mm -hmm. And we attracted each other because of that. Yeah. And, interesting. It, and in that dynamic, we just helped each other more and more and more. And she, she has this language. So that's why we mm -hmm. were able to um, do the things we did very quickly because we, we both understand it and we took it from theory to actually like, Oh, this, it actually does work if both partners understand and are willing to put in the effort to do it. And so I want to touch on a couple of things because as, as you're talking, I'm like running through all like relationships. Okay, so what, what I find a lot of the time in, in relationships, um, not just experiences, is I find that the experiences that stick with me the most, obviously they can act negatively on me if I if I hold them too tight or they cause me anxiety and you know stress and all that stuff. But the ones that hold me the closest, especially the experiences that I have with certain people in my life. I find if they stick with me, there's something intuitively inside that says, all right, there was something about this person 
or this situation that was different or interesting or you know there was a flag that went up and I think it sticks with me until I'm able to process it so as you're talking about it and you know talking about these relationships especially with women in my life because I I'm I'm very fortunate to have a lot of healthy relationships with women in my life um and I'm just going through all of them as you talk about them and it's so interesting so <laughs> it's just it's so interesting because I, I even think about my relationship with my partner in the same way that you're talking about and when when her and I have tension and it's exactly what we just talked about when sometimes I just want to be soft <laughs> I don't want to have to put on this you know tough front sometimes and sometimes life sucks and like sometimes you just need to mope and self I guess we actually labeled that as a masculine trait but like you know self-loathe and uh, process stuff and then there's other times you know like I want to be held and you know cared for and um you talked about you know the love of one parent versus the other parent but I'm interested to hear what your perspective on is is how so let's use a narrative like like you had suggested before so I I go to work I'm in you know a role where I need to be a leader so a little bit more assertive um kind of I guess sorry I'm taking a step back I'm thinking you know everybody leads differently so I lead in a very um uh, kind of middle ground approach. Obviously, there's times where, you know, I need to be assertive and and um, say, you know, this is the way things need to go. And the other times when I'm like, what does everybody think? Like a little bit more open, a little bit more assertive. Um, but if I'm coming home to a different environment, what are some of the, the tools, I guess, that I can use to identify where I'm at coming home before I walk in the door, like before I put my hand on the door and come inside that I can use to identify to say, all right, Benji, here's a little bit of a gauge of where you're at right now. And then, so when I go into the house, I could also then receive and interpret where my partner's at and then somehow come to this middle ground where it's this healthy, um, I think of like a plant growing or like a tree growing where the soil is healthy all the time. Obviously not every day is going to be perfect and some are going to be toxic. And, and I think everyone has that in any relationship in their life, but what are, what are some of the things that I can do every time I come home from work before I get in the house to, I guess, a couple things, and maybe you should just talk about it. I'm just thinking of ideas is gauge where I'm at, gauge where my partner's at, and then communally come together and say, I need this or I don't need this. Like, what are, what are some tools? Um, well, we started off with, with some breath work. Breath work is powerful and that's part of like regulating your nervous system too. So as men, we don't have a lot of, well, I think women have more tools, um, over the years, but it doesn't necessarily start with coming through the door. It starts with a daily practice of, like taking care of yourself and understanding you. But I, I completely um, understand what you're saying about on the drive home and you're making that switch. It's like, okay, that assertiveness, maybe we had a stressful day and I had to make some hard decisions and I had to reprimand a staff member, whatever it might be, that energy mm-hmm. you bring with that may not be very well received when you get home and walk through the door. So what are the tools? I think the biggest tool is the breath work because that bring yourself back to the breath. It it like makes you reset, but it's not that simple. There has to be other components of work you do on yourself. Mm 
mm-hmm. in order for that to be really, truly effective. You could actually implement that like tomorrow and it will definitely help a man show up different when he walks to the door. I guarantee you it will. But if you want to really go deeper and you want to really make that a consistent thing, um, there's other, other steps to that because you said about gauging where she's at. That could be, um, in my opinion, a man shouldn't act any differently based on how, what she, her, her state of mind, because that is the cup. If you are okay. consistent, yeah, she feels so safe with you. It's like mm-hmm. she had a bad, you can have a bad day. It's not saying a man can't have a bad day. Mm-hmm. Turning to your partner to fix your bad day is going to repel her. It's like yeah. you're in your feminine, which is fine. Mm-hmm. You can say I had a bad day, but if you expect her to fix it, it's going to push her into a mothering slash masculine role of caretaking you the healthy masculine will be like babe i had a super bad day Mm -hmm. i want to tell you about it but that's it or maybe you don't want to tell her about it maybe you on the drive home you like got somebody on speakerphone a buddy and just like unleashed it all so that when you get home you can show up to her present I just did a poll of what women want most from men. They want presence. And I understand people, men, like, what the hell does that even mean? Present, yeah. like, I'm in the room. What more does she want? I'm like, ah, exactly my point. Exactly yeah. my point. We've not been taught what that means and what they want and what they need from us. It is, it is simpler than we thought. Mm-hmm probably a little harder to do than we thought it takes some work yeah i want to touch on a couple things one it's you said presence and we're not talking like gift presence we're talking like (laughs) being present um yes and the other thing you also touched on too was verbalize this is something that i continue to struggle with and this is okay so i guess you know, I, I said that I kind of had that first break of, you know, I'm off the escalator, taking the stairs everywhere. They're more reliable. You know, I can gauge which staircase to go up. And it was 19 when that happened, but this is a continuous process. And I fall flat on my face some days. And there's, and the best part about my current relationship uh, with my partner is that there's no, I used to get to the point, and we actually, it's funny enough, we talked about this a couple nights ago where, it's nice to be in a relationship to know that, you know, I can fuck up sometimes and my partner's not going to leave me. Like, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Cause, cause then she accepts that, you know, we're not perfect and that we make mistakes because it's the same way for her where I think it was actually the same thing in, at the beginning of our relationship where I essentially told her, I was like, it's okay to mess up, but when you do mess up, you need to own it because if you don't own it, <laughs> this was like two months into our relationship and we've been together for over two years now. I was like, if you don't own it, we can't do anything together. (laughs) Like it just doesn't work. You have to step into it and say, you know, I screwed up. It's okay. I'm not going anywhere, but that abandonment was present for both of us. Mm. And having that space to, that's the, when you talked about verbalizing what we need, that's one of the things, or not necessarily that we need, that we want. I think it's really important to discover and communicate what it is that we want. I want a partner that will be 
present, like you had mentioned. And presence is one of those things, like you had said, you don't know until you know, and everybody reaches it in different ways, but a lot of it is conceptually, we don't understand it. It's a woo term that's thrown around. It says, you know, presence will solve your life. If you're present all the time, you can't be sad. And I just think the way that, the way that we've tossed around this term and have defined this term is improper because presence isn't something that you can define. It's something that is, <laughs> if that makes mm. sense. And that's, it's funny enough, that's the language that we use to describe it anyways, is you can't teach it, it just is. <laughs> and I think conceptually you can throw things around that will allow somebody to get there themselves, but they need to get there themselves. And there's that individual responsibility that you had mentioned too. The other, the other piece then I want to talk about is how do, how do we discover as men or as, as women, because when we talked about intention for this chat, it was, I want a man to be able to pick it up and say, checkbox, 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 what do I do now? And I also want women to be able to pick it up and say, and, every, and everyone else, everyone, I want anyone, not just men and women, everyone to be able to pick this up and say, what is going on in mm -hmm. my relationship or that man's head? And what can I do today to fix it? So one of the things you mentioned is um, communicating what we need and, or what we want in moments. You, you mentioned that there's daily practices and individual responsibility with it, but how, what are some other ways that we can really truly discover what it is that we need individually out of a relationship so that collectively we can come together and create something strong? I'm just killing you with the questions, eh? I love it, man. Yeah. I love getting <laughs> challenged. No, yeah. I do. I, I do. And you've come up with some great ones that nobody's proposed. Um, what can we do to figure out what we need? Is that is that basically paraphrasing it? Yeah. And figure, it's that whole thing of, uh, you know, how deeply can we feel something? How do we understand it, right? So we feel that we need something don't understand what it really is, what we need. And then, because we don't understand it, we can't communicate it. So how do we really figure out, and it's also individually, like you said, um, what everyone needs in a relationship is different. That's why we all have different partners yeah. and that's why we attract different people. So how do we individually discover, is it working with a coach like you? I believe that is a fashion. I, I wish I <laughs> understood the power of coaching sooner. Yeah. Um, because it is not going to fix anything. But, you know, basically a decade of work probably could have been fast tracked um, mm -hmm. by handing me a toolbox. Yeah. A toolbox. Uh, nobody can do it for me, but they can ask the right questions. So, yes, I think if somebody is like, I want to get results as fast as I can. And there's no promises. There's literally no promises. Find a coach that resonates with you, male or female. Mm -hmm. If you are, I actually suggest if you're a man, you work with a male coach. And if you're a female, you work with a female coach, but make sure you research if their personal journey and the work they've done matches what you're looking for. Yeah. I think that's super important. I think that if they can, if they can provide you a map and a toolbox 
and a GPS and everything you need, you're going to do okay. okay. Um, because how do you know what you need? You got to ask the questions of yourself and you have to not expect the answer to come right away because this is a new process for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I do with my clients is journal prompts, you know, based on what they, they tell me and, and what they're asking for. And it might be something like, what do I need from my partner when she says we're not having sex for a month? Because asking that question written form is talking to your subconscious. You need, it's locked down, man. It is locked down yeah. for most people. We're on autopilot mm -hmm. on that escalator and we have, we don't have access to it. It's there. You can, but it's not like just some pill you take and, Oh, I can, Oh, I know all my trauma from my yeah. childhood. Oh, I know everything I need, but that repetitively repetitive asking the same question could take two weeks and all of a yeah. sudden you'll wake up in the middle and I go, Oh my God. Yeah. I know the answer to that journal prompt. Like that's the way it works. Yeah. So it's patience. It's finding somebody to help you with the tools, um, providing you the tools and as well as journal prompts, like asking like, great questions Yeah. because they have the experience to pick up on things. Right. Like I could, have a client and be fairly certain that they had something happen with their mom. Yeah. They might even deny it at first and that's fine. I can't push, I can't push on that because mm -hmm. they have to like be willing to explore that part of their subconscious. But if we, if you have a guide or a mentor or a coach to like gently ask you some journal prompts or gently ask you some questions, you go home, you go to sleep, your subconscious is like, Oh man, we've been asking to like have permission to release that information to you for so long because we protect ourselves. Our subconscious is like, yeah. you don't know that stuff because it knows you got stuff to do. Yeah. And it's just like, I'm going to lock that away. You're going to be okay. You're going to get through life. You're going to be able to go to work, but mm, your relationships might not be uh, optimal until you like deal with this stuff. Yeah. I think the I think the best way to describe it is, and it's actually funny because this was a concept that was preached to me. I, I I was I was really fortunate to fall under uh, someone with strong leadership skills. My first job out of school and school once school was done and I was able to put it away. It really gave me the opportunity because I was sitting there being like, okay, it's, you know, school isn't my focus all the time. What does the rest of my life look like? And I was really fortunate to fall under him. And he said with leadership a lot of the time. And interesting enough, it, it's followed me around everywhere because it's not just in leadership, it's in our relationships too, is when you plant a seed, you don't see what you've planted until it starts to grow, but it doesn't mean it's not there. And that's what we miss a lot of the time, even in our relationships, where <clears throat> if somebody or any relationships, not just romantic ones, if somebody doesn't hear you right away, the seed has been planted because you can't run away from what was said once it's been said, and then it'll grow. So it's, it's really true what you had said with, with patience is that's half the battle. It's not, if, if, for example, I'm 20, 28, so I actually turned 29. So let's call myself 29, just so I can get to the point of accepting that I'm getting older. So 
20 is so on 29. Okay. I've spent 29 years in this operating system. Okay. And then 29 breaks. I'm like, okay, I need to change it. I'm not going to undo 29 years of living in six months. Okay. And then I'm going to be successful sometimes in six months. And then I'm going to fall flat on my face other times. And I think there's no quick fix. This isn't, this is something that can be simple, but not easy. Right to say we want to communicate better. That's a simple message. That doesn't mean it's easy. And I think that's something in our society where we talk about convenience a lot. And not everything's convenient. Some things are hard uh, to do, but it doesn't mean that we need to complicate them that much. So I, I want to talk a little bit about. Let's say somebody finds. I want to talk about your program specifically because I think what happens with coaching a lot of the time is the coach is kind of the program. I guess is ultimately what it is and. You know, that's why not everyone, especially with psych psychologists, that's a perfect example, is not everybody vibes with the psychologist when they meet them the first time. It's because every psychologist, there's a, a broad umbrella of what psychology looks like, but everyone's got their own flavor and coaching is the same way. So what is what does your program look like and what is your what is your approach look like? High level, it doesn't need to be or, you know, you can go as deep as you want, really. But I really want to know where um, what your pro program looks like. Yeah, so I. You're right. I am my program. My program is my journey. And, and I know my journey is not unique. And I knew, I knew when I developed it, a lot of men could use a hand. Um, so I developed it um, around communicating and connecting with your spouse. Because like most guys got on that escalator and like you've got all the things you had the kids and then you're like oh crap our relationship's not awesome and mm -hmm. one of the number one things is presence and communication presence is communication actually so when i did that poll recently i'm like to women they're like yeah i know <laughs> i know what you want and men i hope you're paying attention because it is like you said it's simple it, it but it takes patience and it, it is fairly easy you just have to do it and have patience so i developed it's uh it's a three-month course because it takes that long to get the ball rolling mm -hmm. it takes that long to show you some tools and implementing those tools and coming back and going hey how did that how did that work well this is the result that happened i'm like okay I get it here. It's okay. If you stumbled, it's okay. Like it happens. That's why we're building this over three months. I'm going to help you along the way. And there's like three layers to it. There's the first month is about getting more in touch with yourself because like you actually alluded to, if you don't know what those emotions are, what you need, how in the heck are you going to communicate if you don't know how you feel? Can't to ask you can't you can't and as men how do we do that literally like i wouldn't have known a decade ago i would have had no clue what to do zero mm -hmm. so we spend a month on that the second month we spend on there's actually communication frameworks like there's actually ways to approach a conversation to have a great outcome and those are those are gold because I think those are the things, those are the skills and the tools that can translate to being better at work, to be honest, because yeah. you have a better understanding of people and their emotional states mm -hmm. and why they might be saying something. 
Mm-hmm. They, the more you get in tune with yourself and understand your triggers, like in the first month, then we will link to the frameworks. You can actually see how, I mean, obviously it's geared towards your partner, but you will start to be able to see the emotional triggers in them and other people. And that's powerful because at that point is when you actually show up as a very masculine leader and lead with love. That's why I said on that list, remember I said there's a feminine thing I'd move over. Mm -hmm. I think it's love. I think true masculinity is rooted in love because without that, it doesn't work. Like you can be assertive. And if you're assertive without love, it's different. If you are based in love and you have an open heart as a man, everything changes, mm-hmm. everything. So that is kind of the, the second month is the frameworks. And then in the third month, we talk about like leading with an open heart. What does that even mean? Yeah. It's like, what? Like, what kind of woo-woo stuff are you talking about? I understand it sounds woo-woo, but I also know what your partner wants from men. Yeah. It's what they want. We haven't mm-hmm. been taught that. Our dads were on lockdown with their emotions, most of them. But they do want us to be vulnerable. They do want us to, to show up and go, I had a crappy day. Mm-hmm. But what they don't want is for us as men to expect them to fix it. Yeah. How do we do that? Well, back to month one, you got to learn yourself. Once you learn yourself, you show up differently. Once you show up differently, it changes the dynamic and the connection with your partner. So that is what I'm doing is showing men how to lead the communication and lead it in a healthy, loving way, not in a like dictator. This is the way it is. It's understanding yourself. It's understanding um, feelings and emotions and how they tie into communication with our partner. Because once we do that, we're on a new path. We are on a new path. Mm-hmm. You do not have to plug and play. It's like, oh, my wife doesn't get it. She doesn't get me or I can't understand her. You're just going to repeat that pattern in your next relationship. It's, it's probably nothing to do with her. It's mm-hmm. how you're showing up as a man. And that's mm-hmm. actually not your fault. It's just what we were given. It's what society gave us to work with. But there's ways, there's ways. So I really want to help guys like not, like I'm 46. I want to help guys figure this out way sooner. Yeah. (laughs) Because it doesn't have to be that way anymore. You don't have to stumble. You don't have to not know what to do. There's there's quality people out there. Mm -hmm. It's not me, it's somebody else that can get you there and give you the toolbox. That's the way I say my clients, I'm about to give you nine tools. I'm going to show you how to use them. You still have to go use them. Yeah. You have to practice to use them too. And I'll go perfect way to go full circle to what we, we talked about is that we, we had mentioned, you know, when we talked about um, the brain injury and the heart attack is that life continues to deliver the same message over and over and over again until you learn it. And like you said, if you don't learn it in one relationship, it will show up in the next one. And life will continue to deliver people in your life that are there. Their purpose is there is to show you these things in yourself and it'll keep doing it. And 
it'll just happen over and over and over again. And just one more thing that I wanted to touch on was, and it sounds like you're kind of in that point and saying, you know, love is here or love is there. I think love is the unifying one. Uh, it's the one and that's that's ancient wisdom like you said this stuff is not new we've just we've forgotten it and we've forgotten to practice it and we've forgotten once one generation learns it to push it to the next generation and that's all it is is it's there we've just forgotten it and love is that unifying one together it's the one that you know it's that one that's always in the middle you know that just pulls us together is that we want to be caring we want to be selfless we want to help we want to take control sometimes to help somebody else, you know, taking control isn't just for me. It's also to make sure that if somebody else isn't as feeling, you know, hundred percent or the strongest version of themselves that I can step in and, and be assertive in that way. So I really, yeah, I really appreciate you, you taking the time today, Brandon and, and sharing um, all your knowledge and your wisdom. It's, it's, it's like I mentioned last week, it's comforting knowing that there's other men like yourself Um who are, are doing, doing work and at a different point in your journey, but the work is just as important in that, in that journey. It's not like it really, really ever changes. So if somebody who does, if somebody's listening and, and wants to connect with you, how would they go about doing that? I am on Instagram and Facebook, but probably, yeah, uh, on Instagram, it's men's communication coach on Facebook. It's Brandon S. Archer. And my website is brandonarcher.com. That's awesome. I appreciate you taking the time, Brandon. It's great conversation. We had a great conversation last week and I've been kind of, yeah, you had sent me a message a couple of days after saying that you were just buzzing because you were so excited about it. And I'm really, I'm really grateful that there's other men in our, in our society, in our communities that are, that are doing the stuff that you're doing. It's, it's extremely, it's extremely important. And it's not just for the individual to help you heal. It's for other individuals to heal because if we individually heal, then collectively we're stronger. So I want you to know how much, one, how much I appreciated this conversation and how important I think it is to continue to have these conversations, but also how grateful I am for the, the work that you continue to do and the message that you're, you're pushing forward. It's uh, yeah, gratitude. That's all. That's all I really have to say. Thanks so much for having me, man. It was a great chat. I appreciate it, man. I look forward to listening to it again. Yeah, you bet. All right, man. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. If you enjoyed today's podcast or any of my earlier conversations, make sure to like this episode and give the Daily Dose podcast a follow as we continue chatting with ordinary people doing extraordinary things. As always, I hope you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. Much love, everyone.